Okay. So we've been talking about the relationship with the spiritual mentor. So the next uh, part says, without following a qualified teacher, there is no method to actualize enlightenment. This point is stressed in the sutras and commentaries. Please practice as pleases the spiritual mentor is said repeatedly. Do not regard this as an undesirable task like a prison sentence, for who doesn't want good fortune? As stated in many sutras, tantras, and treatises, there is no faster or more powerful way to increase your store of positive potential than by correctly following the spiritual mentor. That's where we were, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so without following a qualified teacher, there's no method to actualize enlightenment. Yeah. It's the thing, if we need a teacher to learn how to type and drive a car and cook and fix a washing machine, then the path to liberation is much more complicated. We definitely need a teacher for that. Okay, And we need a teacher who's actually more advanced on the path than we are so that they can show us how to get to where they are. Yeah. It's like if you want to go somewhere, if you know somebody who's been there, you can ask them for advice. Okay. And then it's stressed repeatedly in the commentaries, please practice as pleases the spiritual mentor. Okay. So again, I really want to stress that doesn't mean going around being good goody two shoes. Oh, I'm pleasing my spiritual teacher, aren't I a good little cookie, you know? But to realize that what pleases our spiritual teacher is our Dharma practice. Okay? And so to practice well and offer that as something that pleases our teacher. And when we really value it's it's like with, with any relationship. If you really value the person that you have a relationship with, then you want to do things that make them happy. Isn't it? You know, with anybody. Yeah, if you value that relationship, <coughs> then automatically, you know, you don't have to push yourself. You just want to do what makes them happy because you like seeing them happy because you care about them. So when you value that relationship and, and you really have a feeling of closeness with your spiritual teacher, then automatically you don't have to force yourself, but you automatically want to do what pleases your teacher. And then the thing is to say, well, what is it that pleases my teacher? Oh, it's when I transform my mind. Okay? And so then that, that comes kind of much more automatically. Yeah? You're not doing it like... Oh, I feel obliged to please my teacher, you know. There's none of this kind of stuff, okay? There's just you care about somebody, you want to do what pleases them, your practice is what pleases them, okay? So that's why he says don't just regard this as an undesirable task like a prison sentence, okay? Because it's not undesirable because... When you have that feeling towards your teacher and you want to practice to please your teacher, then who benefits? We do. We do. We do. You know, it's not our teacher who benefits. We benefit. Okay? So that's why it says, for who doesn't want good fortune? Well, that's it. We want good fortune. And if we, you know, want to please our teacher, then, you know, we're the ones who benefit, not them. 
And so this, this shows how so often we really get things completely upside down. You know, it's like um, we get some kind of Dharma instruction or some kind of instruction from our teacher and then we just feel like, oh, they're pushing me and they want me to do something I'm not ready to do and, you know, why are they asking me to do this? It's too much and they should be more compassionate. And, you know, you can see that when we get into to thinking like that, we've totally missed the boat, haven't we? Yeah? We completely missed the boat. You know, our teacher says, do a stable, you know, daily meditation practice. And we go, oh, they're expecting too much. I don't have so much time. Why are they pushing me? I mean, wait a minute. Is our teacher going to benefit from us doing a daily meditation practice? No. Who's the one who benefits from it? Us. Why are we so resistant to doing what benefits us? Because mm-hmm. we're foolish. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. And then he also mentioned in here that um, there's no faster, more powerful way to increase your store of positive potential than by correctly following a spiritual mentor. Okay? This happens for a couple of reasons. First of all, because our teacher is going to give us good advice. So if we follow somebody who has good advice, we're going to increase our store of positive potential, without a doubt. Okay. Second of all, because our teacher is the one that we've chosen as the guide who's going to lead us on the path, Okay. they haven't put themselves in front of us. We've made the decision that, that we're going to follow their guidance then they become a very strong object of our creation of karma. Okay? So if we do something to serve our teachers with this joyous, happy mind, then we create so much incredible good karma. Yeah. On the other hand, if we get angry you know, at our spiritual mentors, when you see that that person has actually been the one who's been kinder to us than anybody else we know in the whole wide world, then... Who's getting hurt by our getting angry? Yeah. Our anger and upset with our spiritual mentor, you know, accusing them, they're pushing me, they want too much from me, that doesn't hurt them. Who's it hurting? It's hurting us. Because our mind is being so distorted. Here's this person who cares about me, who's trying to lead me to enlightenment, and I'm sitting there thinking all sorts of horrible thoughts about him. So who's closing the door to me receiving benefit from their good guidance? I'm closing my own door. So who's losing out here by my, you know, being upset with my teacher? Not my teacher. I'm the one who's losing out. Yeah? I was recently having a discussion with somebody about this thing of how we're so attached to what other people think of us. You know, worldly, the people, you know, in our lives, we're so attached. You know, our family, our friends, we want them to think well of us. Do we care at all about what the Buddha thinks of us? No. You know? Worldly people say, oh, 
you've got to get a life and you've got to do this and you know don't go to these retreat things it's just really silly and you know they give us all this advice and we're so attached to them that we think oh yes I should follow their advice okay then the Buddha gives us some advice like you know don't bother being attached to worldly things because they're impermanent but we go I don't like that advice you know I mean we just disregard what the Buddha says but what the worldly people say we go oh yeah they're right you know if I don't save enough money then I won't be able to go on retreat and if I do this you know this Dharma thing is too extreme and you know so we back away because we're so attached to what worldly people think who is it who's giving us good advice the Buddha our spiritual mentors so our spiritual mentors are basically just saying what the Buddha would say if the Buddha were here so our Buddha you know our spiritual mentors say do a regular daily meditation practice you know get yourself out of these situations in which your mind is going crazy from attachment get yourself out of the situation where your mind's going nuts because of anger and really you know get deeper into your practice you know this, this is wise advice good advice do we care what wise people think about us? No. We just ignore it completely. And then we turn around and say, oh, they expect too much of me. They're, they're pushing me. But then worldly people whose minds are completely befuddled by ignorance, like we were just talking, you know, minds completely befuddled, they give us advice. Oh, I better listen to this, you know, because I care so much about what they think of me and I don't want to displease these people, you know. They're kind, mother sentient beings, so I better try and please them. Do you you see? I mean, we think completely upside down, yeah? But when we're thinking properly, then we can see how, you know, by trying to, to fulfill the advice that our teachers give us, because they're powerful objects of karma then we create a lot of good karma and avoid creating bad karma and second of all because our teachers are wiser than we are because that's why we chose them okay so it's based on choosing good teachers this is not based on choosing Mickey Mouse teachers okay we've chosen good teachers these people are wiser than we are maybe we should like stop and think about what they're saying you know and if we really appreciate the role that they play in our life maybe we should try and please them by following their advice yeah because we're the ones who benefit if we follow their advice they don't benefit so I I just want to specify here because I I got a letter this, this last week from somebody in another country who was quite upset um, that this whole thing of taking a spiritual mentor and training your mind to see the good qualities of your spiritual mentor and appreciating their kindness this whole thing is based on our having learned the qualities of a good spiritual mentor and searched out a good spiritual mentor and made that decision ourselves okay so that's why you know several weeks ago we were talking about the qualities of a good teacher yeah and I say this because I got a letter this last week 
from some people in another country. There had been a Rinpoche there who they had met. He was raising money to build a retreat center in, you know, in another country. And they wanted to help him. And they started to help him. And then after some time, they were becoming a bit uncomfortable because he wouldn't tell them the name of the monastery. He said that his government wouldn't let them tell the name of the monastery. Uh, some people had donated money for him to buy Buddhist statues for the monastery and they gave him a camera and said please bring us pictures of the statues he never bought pictures he would go to the shopping mall and get very expensive luxury items and uh, he even bought a car and then you know gave it away and then got another car and they began to have some doubts Okay, and so they cancelled his work permit and, you know, he wound up having to, to leave. And they wrote to me and said, have we created horrible negative karma? Are we going to hell? You know, and, and I wrote back and I said, well, you know, were you angry? Were you upset? Or were you doing this just because it seemed like, you know, a fair way to... Pre- to protect the benefactors because they were helping him raise money and they didn't want to deceive other people who were giving, you know. And I said, did you have a close Dharma connection with them? And and um, they wrote back and they said, well, we, you know, because I said, did you take refuge? Did you take precepts? Did you take initiation? They said, no, we didn't take any of that. We had a couple of oral transmissions, but we don't know if that means a close Dharma connection. So what's coming out of this, you know, and what I'm going to write them, is that, you know, they didn't know what the qualities were of a spiritual mentor. They didn't know what it meant to form a relationship. They didn't understand what a close dharma connection was. And instead, they just, you know, here's somebody, well, trust them and we'll, we'll do that. And they themselves wrote me and they said, you know, we just assume that because they were in robes we should trust them and and we're very eager to create a lot of positive karma by helping somebody so you know we just kind of did that and we did it very blindly and and you know and I, I think that's true they did do it blindly um, you know by and large I think people in robes are trustworthy but the thing is, you still have to, whenever you're doing any kind of thing, examine what you're doing and pick teachers properly. You know, and that's why you spend a time observing them before you form that relationship. Okay? And then you, you know, if something happens like this, even after you form the relationship, you can ask questions. You do so politely, you know. And if they can't answer your questions, then you politely just leave. Yeah, because, yeah. But it's not this thing of, you know, becoming an infant or it's not whitewashing mistakes or anything like that. Okay? So um, this whole thing is really founded upon, uh, and that's why it's so important, you know, learn what the qualities of a good teacher are and then look for people with those qualities. Maybe they don't have all of them, but they have some of them. Okay, that's good. You know, and then know what it means to form a relationship. And forming a relationship with a teacher doesn't mean that you become their chief fundraiser. You know? 
I mean, you formed, because I wrote them, and I, I said, you know, the purpose of the relationship is to lead the disciple to enlightenment. And then, you know, as a way of offering service to your teacher, if your teacher's doing good projects, you help them do those good projects because they're trying to benefit sentient beings. But the purpose of the relationship isn't for you just to, to raise money. It's for you to actually learn the Dharma so you can transform your own mind. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So I think there's, you know, a lot of things about, about this that unfortunately they didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And so I hope now I'm going to write them back again and, you know, say now is a really good time for you to start studying the Lam Rin. Because if you study the Lam Rin, then you'll understand what all these things are about. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Because that teacher kept on saying to them, you know, oh, you should have pure view. And if you have negative thoughts, you should just think that that's your own mind and it's your own impure view. So then when they started seeing him buying all these luxury items and going here and there and stuff like that, they thought, oh, well, that's just our impure view. You know, well, (laughs) you know, not exactly. I think, uh, first of all, you know, we find a qualified teacher. We really examine them before. After we find the related, form the relationship, then we want to train our minds to see their good qualities. Okay? If we see something as a fault, then we have to ask ourselves, is this an unethical action that is not appropriate for this person to be doing because of the vows they've taken or because of what are naturally negative actions? Or is this just a difference in opinion? Okay? If, some, if your teacher is doing something that is blatantly contrary to the Buddha's teachings, then His Holiness said you should say something. Or if they, don't, they aren't listening, then you just back out, you know. Go find a teacher that you can make a good connection with. On the other hand, Sometimes when we look, the criticism that we find in our teacher is just different ways of doing things and different preferences. And then when we see that, we see how our mind equates difference with wrong. Okay? Somebody thinks different, they're wrong. Somebody does something different, they're wrong. Okay? And we begin to see how we start judging people as wrong just because they have different ways of thinking or different ways of doing things. Or they see things in a situation that we don't see. Or they don't see things in a situation that we see. They have different interpretations. But that has nothing to do with ethical conduct. Yeah? So in those kinds of situations, then instead of saying, my teacher's wrong and that's a fault... You know, that's when we say, well, how do I really know that they have a negative motivation? Maybe it's just a different way of seeing things. And if I tried seeing things the way they did, maybe I would understand better, you know, how they're putting the pieces together instead of clinging so adamantly onto my own view and insisting that everybody in the world thinks like me. Okay? So you see how we have to discriminate things, you know, in these different situations. Yeah? You know, he continues on a little bit later, you know, talking about the disadvantages of seeing faults in our teachers because, again, it's us who lose out when we do because 
what we're doing is just taking our same old tendency to equate difference with them being wrong and our same old tendency to judge other people and our same old tendency to want everybody to do things the way we want them to be done and we're just projecting that on our teacher you know without and we're ignoring the good qualities and the positive influence they have in our life and so that's when things get really tangled up and that's why you know the masters advise that we always train our mind to see our teacher in a good light in a good light because when when we see our teacher in a positive way, then we're the ones who benefit because then we become happy to practice and we learn so much, you know, but when we just let our mind get into our same old judgmental things, then very difficult to practice Dharma because we're just sitting there doing our usual thing of they did this and they did that and how come they don't do this and how come they don't do that, <laughs> you know, which, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> okay then the next paragraph says when training under a spiritual mentor be sure to maintain a correct attitude towards him or her whatever happens do not permit the thought to arise that he has faults or shortcomings meditate in this way not only with words alone but from the depths of your heart until the mere sound of his name or thought of him makes your hair tingle and your eyes fill with eyes filled with tears okay and so this is really emphasizing here to train our mind to really see um, you know the kindness of our teachers and how they are kinder to us than anybody else and to see the qualities of our teachers and that they have wisdom that's much greater than anybody else's wisdom okay and so when we do this then a very strong feeling comes and that's why you know, he's saying just you, you, the thought or the name of them, and you know, your eyes feel filled with tears because you realize, wow, how incredibly unfortunate I am to have met a spiritual teacher like this who can lead me on on the path to enlightenment. You know, and when you feel that kind of gratitude and that kind of inspiration, then you say, I want to become like them. Well, how did they get to be the way they are? They're telling me. You know, that's what these teachings are about. You know, they're telling me how to become like that. That's why the that's all the teachings that the Buddha gave was him. Why did he give all those teachings so that we could become like him? Yeah. Well, if I can't see the good example the Buddha is setting, or if I can't see the good example my teacher is setting, yeah, then who's losing out? You know, it's me who loses out. And instead, whose example do I follow? The example of all these worldly people who have no thought about past and future lives, no idea about karma, who grasp things as inherently existent and permanent, and everything else. And we follow their advice. Yeah. So then we just create more samsara. Okay? So, you know, um, like, like one of my teachers, he would, uh, people would go in and ask for advice. And, and they would come out with a list this long of practices to do. You know, it's like, you know, 500,000 Vajrasattva mantras, 300,000 water bowl offerings, uh, you know, 3 million recitations of a Mayu Hong, 
uh, you know, a hundred thousand new nays, or even ten thousand new nays. I mean, enormously, and one person even calculated, and it's like it was more than he could even do in one lifetime. So, I was always very careful. I never went in and out. But, you know, I realized that just watching my friends with this, you know, like if my teacher had given me that, I just, you know, and I saw some of my friends, they just got totally discouraged. Like, this is more than I can do, and why is he giving me so much? And he's pushing me, and this is too difficult, and what's the use? I can't finish it anyway. And, you know, and I saw that, you know, that's probably the way my mind would have reacted, which is why I never went and asked, you know. But then, when you think about it, yeah, because I asked, I asked my teacher one time why he did this, why he gave them all so many things, and he said, because it gives them some direction in their practice. And it gives them something to aim for. And I began to see, yeah, you know, the whole reason he was doing that wasn't because he was expecting them to sit down and get it all knocked off. Okay, five million, you know, prostrations, get, get it done in there. It's not, you know, he wasn't expecting that. But he was giving them these things to inspire them to practice. And then because they would be following his instructions, because he's their, their teacher, and a powerful object for creating karma, they would create the good karma from doing the practices and the good karma from following their teacher's advice. You know, and they would feel inspired in their practice and have something to look towards. Okay, so I realized that that was the attitude that one was supposed to cultivate when you came out of the, the room with a big list. Okay? But it took me many years to understand that because my mind was so dense. Yeah. And instead I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. And I still don't do that. <laughs> but another one of my teachers, as you've seen, has given me a project of keeping me pretty busy. <laughs> but, you know, I'm joyful doing it. I wake up every morning and I just say, I am working for this as an offering service to my teacher. I'm offering service to all sentient beings, and I'm just happy doing it, you know. So that—that's why we're we're trying to kind of train our mind in this way. Okay. Then it says, in general, all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas have said that you should never see the ordinary failings of a human being in your spiritual mentor. If you see something lower base in him or her, consider it as a reflection of your impure attitudes. How are you able to really know what, it, what is and isn't base? Once, when Arya Sangha, Arya Asanga did a retreat on Maitreya Buddha, he perceived Maitreya as a worm-ridden bitch. Naropa first saw his teacher Tilopa as a lunatic catching fish and eating them alive. In the meeting between Father and Son Sutra, Buddha manifested as a devil in order to work for the good of the world. In view of these incidents, how can you believe that the faults you see in your teacher are real? Generate conviction that he or she is a manifestation of the Buddha. Okay? So, I think I've kind of covered this. You know, that it doesn't mean kind of 
senior teachers of Buddha doesn't mean whitewashing things, okay? But it means realizing that if the actual Buddha would hear it, were here, they'd be, you know, he'd be giving you the same teachings as your teacher, yeah? And then not to project all your ordinary disgruntledness onto your teacher, yeah? That's what it means, you know, when it says don't project the ordinary failings of a, of a human being. It doesn't mean that you idealize things, or that you go around thinking, oh, my teacher, you know, has a golden body and long earlobes and, you know, looks exactly like the Buddha walking down the street. It doesn't mean that, you know. Senior gurus, <laughs> it doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean you get romantic. Oh, everything they do is perfect. You know, they draw, they spill spaghetti sauce all over the carpeting. It's perfect, you know. Everything is perfect as it is. You know, it doesn't mean you get in this kind of la-la weirdness, yeah. Or, um, yeah, anyway. You know, it doesn't mean that, that, that you get in that. But what it's meaning is that you look at the beneficial role they play in your life. You look at their qualities and you prevent yourself from doing your normal old pattern of complaining and picking faults and wanting somebody to be what you want them to be without you having to tell them and without them having any freedom of choice. Because my self-centeredness is the dictator of the world. <laughs> and I want my teacher to be like this. They better be like this. And I want sentient beings to be like this. They better be, says the dictator of the world. My self-centered thought. Okay, just, just try to avoid all of that happening. Okay? So, then it goes on. It is taught in the root text of the Guru Samaj Tantra and in Ashvagosha's 50 verses on Guru Yoga that there is, no greater, there is no greater negativity than saying or believing that your spiritual mentor has faults. Therefore, practice Guru Yoga as related in the biography of Lama Jantampa without thoughts or wavering. Once you have accepted a spiritual mentor, meditate so as not to give rise to any disrespectful or unworthy thoughts, even if your life is at stake. J. Rinpoche wrote, The root of all causes producing happiness here and thereafter is the practice of relying in thought and action upon the sacred friend who reveals the path. Seeing this, follow him or her at any cost and please him or her with the offering of practice. I, a yogi, did that myself. You, O liberation seeker, should do likewise. Jay Rinpoche gave this advice purely out of compassion and not because he wanted his disciples to honor or to glorify them. Okay? So when it's talking here about there's no greater negativity than saying or believing that your spiritual mentor has faults, you know, you have to sit and think about, well, why is that negative? Okay. And then if you think the way I just explained to you, you know, that here's somebody that's wiser than I am, giving me good advice, but I see them with faults, why is that a negativity? Because it's, I'm estranging myself from the Dharma when I do that. 
I'm cutting myself off from a source of help. Okay. And if you if you have those ordinary thoughts towards your teacher, that critical mind, then if they teach you a practice, a dharma practice, then you say, oh, they taught that practice to me wrong, or this or that, you know, and then you stop doing the practice. Well, then who loses out when we stop doing our dharma practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, actually, Dharma practice is what we need to do most. <laughs> so these people in this other country, I wrote to them and I said, you know, th- what you need to do now is, you know, sit down and do some Dharma practice and not worry so much about these other things because you've got to get some clarity in your own mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, you know, what the reason, I think, that having these negative thoughts about our teachers is why they say it's such a great negativity is because there's so much danger that we give up the Dharma because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And it's not that, you know, giving up the Dharma is inherently bad. It's we just see what we're doing to ourselves when we give up the Dharma. Or when we give up the source of wise advice. Or when we criticize somebody who's looking out for our own welfare. And not just looking out for our welfare this life, but looking out for our welfare in all samsara, you know, and trying to get get us out of samsara. And if we criticize that person, what are we doing to ourselves? Okay. So when they he was saying, you know, to practice properly, relying on your teacher by thoughts and by actions. By thoughts, we rely on our teacher by thinking of their qualities and generating respect, and then. Also, by remembering their kindness and generating gratitude. Okay? So, by their, their qualities, we generate actually faith and respect. And by remembering their, their kindness, we generate gratitude. And then that makes our mind so happy to follow these wise directions. And then, how do we relate on our, to our spiritual mentors? In action, is by the, making offerings of material possessions you know, or finances by offering service, you know, to, to help them either with daily life things or with their, their virtuous activities and offering our Dharma practice. Okay? So, so then we offer in that way with a happy mind, seeing the purpose of it, and we've chosen a good teacher, so a teacher isn't asking any, anything unreasonable, you know. I mean, that's why I think these people had what they did in stopping this work permit was, you know, they didn't seem to be angry about it at all, but I think it was quite wise because if somebody's not using the offerings wisely, then, you know, something isn't kosher there. Yeah. But, you, you know, you don't have to be angry at the, at the person who's doing that, and you don't have to abandon the Dharma or anything like that. It's just, okay, that's not working. Yeah, but that's kind of a quite extreme case. It's not like, you know, we we get kind of bummed out over you know much more minor things, don't we? <laughs> okay. So that concludes the the section about relying on a spiritual mentor. And uh, if you have questions about it next week, we can. 
ask some questions about it. And then we'll go on. Okay. We'll sit quietly.